do it. Get mentally prepared, bring it in. I'm going I'm to try to bring the thunder. All right, here we go. Welcome to Very Unreasonable Things. I'm Billy Bone, and with me as always is Josh Lindsay. Today we get a special versus episode. We're going to be talking about Freddy versus Jason. Not the movie that kind of sucked, but we're talking about Freddy's dead and Jason goes to hell. Yeah, we are uh, scraping the bottom of the barrel here, and it was a struggle just to hear that, honestly. You, uh, When's the last time you'd seen these movies? I take it you didn't care for these cinematic masterpieces? No, we'll, we'll get into that. We'll talk about it, right? Um, I saw them when they came out, I believe, probably on VHS. I think I, I, think I was able to see Freddy's Dead a lot sooner than I was able to see Jason Goes to Hell. I remember hating both movies, if we're being honest, before we even get into it. Even at the time. Yeah, even at the time, I I, I hated both of them. Uh, both movies were, or both series, I think were on a downward trend at that point. And, you know, you could see where it was going. And it took a long time to rewatch these movies. And these, and these are two series where I will go back and rewatch the movies quite often. It's like comfort food, right? And you can watch any particular movie. And be entertained, but these two are never in the rotation for me. No, me neither. I always thought Freddy's Dead was the weakest of the big three, and I don't think I'd ever seen it from start to finish until for this podcast, because hmm. it is laborious to get through. Yeah, um, I would agree with that. I would also venture to say that uh, the same would could go for Jason Goes to Hell. And it, it took me so long to rewatch him just because of how poorly I remembered him. But I think after we talked about Maximum Overdrive, I think we can remember things differently than what they maybe really were. Because I remembered Maximum Overdrive being more entertaining than it was. And when I go back and rewatch it, you know, it was not that at all. Nostalgia has rose-tinted glasses, for sure. And, you know, Jason Goes to Hell is its its own special little thing off to the side in, in this Fred, um, Friday universe. But I will say, like, at least Jason Goes to Hell has one redeeming quality we'll get into. It has one thing going for it. And if it wasn't for that... God, both of these. It, it was almost like Chinese water torture, you know, <laughs> watching these movies. And, you know, me, me and you both are such a big fan of this franchise. But, man, when you when these franchises hit rock bottom, goddamn, it is fucking rock bottom. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, and we've made jokes about it in a couple other episodes to the point where I don't do research. But for these two movies... I did a little 
research. I'm not gonna say a whole lot. I don't like to put you a whole did lot a little of, bit of leg work, yeah. Yeah, I don't like to put a whole lot of effort into anything I'm doing. You know, just enough to get by. But I did have or I do have the Crystal Lake Memories book, you know, because I do love, you know, Friday thirteenth so much. And we both have obviously the Crystal Lake documentary and have watched it multiple times. And you know, never sleep again, which I think we've both watched multiple times. So it gave us access or gave me access to a little more information than I would normally have. I I wish I was a little less lazy as well because I did open up my Crystal Lake Memories book. I wish I would have opened up the Never Sleep Again documentary. But if I had to hear one person individually talk about the movie as if they didn't completely fucking blow it, I think well, I would have just... We're probably going to be talking about the same person then. Yeah. So let's talk about Jason goes to hell first. What are we dealing with here? Or maybe, maybe we should just go with one of the alternate titles, the dark heart of Jason Voorhees or the nine lives of Jason. Cause I did a little research and I found out those were two working titles to the point where they actually made a documentary about the making of, Jason goes to hell called the dark heart of Jason Voorhees. Yeah. I think there was uh, after reading that book a little bit, I think there was a little bit of trouble with production there. I didn't know about the nine lives. I didn't get to that in the book, I guess, but that's, that's pretty fucking stupid. Well, that's a horrible title. The, I think that's the weakest of the three. I think the dark heart of Jason Voorhees, at least makes sense given the content of the movie, but it's a shame that, New Line wasn't able to get the Friday the 13th name from Paramount. All they got was the Jason character. but And that's a whole nother yeah. bugaboo that's and going I, on now. And I guess we can get into that a little bit. Uh, maybe not that part, but we can get into it a little bit after we're, you uh, tell us what this movie's about. And then we can get started. Yeah. Okay. Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday. Sean Cunningham, the father of the first movie was a surprise hit in 1980 makes his not so glorious return in this 1993 movie and like any father who walked out on his kid to get smokes and only to return 13 years later to find his son has grown up to be way 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 more successful than him does what any self-respecting father would do you take a shit on that kid and then you piss in his face and that's exactly what Cunningham did when he took over the reins of this once Kinda proud franchise. So what does Cunningham do, producer of such hits as Deep Star Six and Manny's Orphans? He listens to his fresh out of film school, I have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about, director Adam Marcus, who tells him the kids are tired of seeing Jason kill teenagers in the woods. Yes, I know I hate it when I go to a Stones concert and they end up playing their fucking hits. So instead, they chose to go with the typical lore in Demon Dog that can only transfer bodies by going up your butt or in your mouth route. You know, just your garden variety Demon Dog kind of thing. Because since 1981, everyone was saying, I like this Jason fellow, but like, what's his family's deal? Like, what's their up-the-butt policy, pro or against? The movie opens with the greatest sleeping on the job scene ever when the authorities finally decide to take action against the homicidal hermit who at this point has killed 83 people. 
after luring him out with exposed breast, and by doing so answers the age-old question of what does Jason and Josh have in common. <laughs> and after Adam Marcus's cousins and neighbors play dress-up as SWAT members and dispose of the confused hockey player, we find ourselves on a set doing its best impression of a morgue. When the still-beating heart of Jason starts making unwanted advances at the unsuspecting coroner, the coroner does what anyone would do when faced with such a decision. You eat the heart and then have the demon soul of Jason overtake your body and force you to kill until you could find another host in the hopes of getting your back to your bloodline to regain your body in your true form. Duh. And after meeting the movie's most interesting character, Creighton Duke, just your stereotypical black cowboy bounty hunter, who for reasons not known has studied the genealogy of the Voorhees family and has written the best-selling book on said killer titled Jason We Hardly Knew Thee has agreed to find and kill Jason for the low sum of 500k. Afterwards, we finally meet our protagonist of the film, Stephen. Just your average absentee 30-year-old father who still wears a letterman jacket and hangs out at the local diner where his baby's mama mama works. We've all been there. When the producers realize that Creighton Duke was bringing an interest level in this movie that they really weren't ready to deal with, they decide to throw him in movie jail. Literally. When Jason realizes that his fat, middle-aged body is uh, he's occupying needs to be upgraded, he finds another fat, middle-aged body to transfer to. A real go-getter that Jason is. And when the sister of Jason, who is Steven's baby's mama mama, gets attacked by Jason, who's occupying the body now of a deputy who works for the boyfriend of the sister of Jason, but is saved at the last minute by Steven, who is there to talk to his baby's mama mama, about his baby that is the niece to Jason, you know what? Fuck you, Jason goes to hell. When Stephen fails to protect the sister of Jason from Jason, he finds himself behind bars next to the guy who is hunting Jason. Jesus Christ. And in the second of three homoerotic scenes, Creighton Duke gives away most of the plot from his book, Jason, We Hardly Knew Thee, but only when Stephen promises to pre-order his next book. After learning of the ancient, mythical, magical family that presides in New Jersey, Stephen plans a daring escape by complaining of an injury to his hand, and that plan fucking works. Because it's important to keep the excitement level in this horror movie to the bare minimal. Soon after, Stephen finds himself at the Voorhees Manor in a Tom Hanks in a money pit situation, where the convenience of storytelling allows him to overhear that his baby's mama's new boyfriend, who has stolen the body of Jason's sister, and placed her in the basement of the house to hopefully further his career as a dickhead tabloid reporter completely oblivious to the fact that the morgue would probably like to have a word with him about stealing bodies. But he's soon interrupted by the body snatcher who came home in the hopes of finding his binky. And after Jason upgrades bodies and clothes, he heads to find his remaining family with the hopes of putting his demon seed into one of them, which then causes White Urkel to spring into action. And by spring into action, I mean free himself from falling through the hole. Everyone meets up at the police station because the studio paid for that time to film at a real police station, and goddammit, we're not going to not film there. And after shooting the scenes at the police station that were completed on time, the cast and crew decide to film some more scenes at the diner because this movie has rented out four locations and our body count is looking pretty low for this slasher flick. And the movie culminates at the Voorhees estate where we finally introduce to a magical dagger because why the fuck not? And the demon dog baby Jason finally finds a home up his dead sister's butt. When the magical dagger of what the fuck is finally stabbed and awkwardly kicked into Jason's heart, 
He's immediately dragged down to hell by the demons of the box office numbers. And the movie ends when noted pervert Freddy Krueger reaches out and grabs a mask and pulls it underground. So good introduction to the movie, Josh. Um, obviously, we're talking about Jason Goes to Hell at this point, and we mentioned it previously. New Line was not able to get the rights to Friday the 13th. It was only able to get the, uh, the rights to the character of Jason Voorhees. So we end up with this title that actually doesn't fit in with this uh, series. And, and we get stuck with a movie that goes off the rails. Uh, there's a lot to talk about here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump right into the part about what, what I think about Jason, because he's, he's in the very first scene of the movie and he's in the last scene in the movie. You know, this, this silly scene where they have the SWAT team kill him. We'll get into that in a minute, but I just want to talk about the design of Jason. This is my least favorite Jason design out of all the movies. You know, uh, Uber Jason. I, at least there's a, it's, a reason for that one. It's stupid. I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying. It looks bad. But the the lumpy head, the, the mask. His head looks like elephantitis of the balls. Yeah, it's... It's a bad design. I don't care for it. It's almost like with this movie, they threw out continuity. And I know they threw it out a little bit with um, Jason Takes Manhattan. But usually when you're watching a Friday 13th movie, you kind of get a, a recap of the previous movie. Or if you don't, you at least get a scene that ties it back, right? Even when we went to the Jasonless New Beginning we saw what put Tommy Jarvis in the halfway house. Right. And then when we went to Jason lives, we saw what brought Jason back to life. And then when we went to, um, the new blood, we saw Jason get released from the lake here. There's no explanation as to how Jason reverted back from his toxic waste childhood state of Jason takes Manhattan. He's just here in this, to me, a poorly constructed scene. A lot of this is supposed you're, you're made to believe that this is a well thought out plan by this police force. But if so, why does the woman get naked? And I get what the director, I know the director said he was trying to make the most over the top campy scene or whatever, uh, I guess, because he didn't like that part of the movies. Well, he probably said that in hindsight too. Yeah. But, We've seen enough Friday the 13th movies at this point to know that not every woman that gets killed in the movie is because she's naked. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not naked women on screen. But I'm saying as far as a plan by the police, she gets naked. Jason attacks her. This plan hinges on her living, right? And getting to this point in the woods so they can blow Jason up. But what if he fucking chopped her up in that house or in that cabin? Because it was close. Two things. Um, this movie, and I'm not a uh, continuity head, especially in my slashers. Like, just fucking, you know, you know the drill. Just follow a certain guideline that comes with being a slasher. But this is all shown in Cunningham. Like, he does not like the character Jason. Yeah. And you can, you can tell that. And he can say what he wants, but this character has made him so much money, and he's so ashamed of it. But also, 
Like, if you don't like Jason, if you're somewhat, I don't know the word I'm looking for, just hesitant on bringing him back, maybe don't hire a guy fresh out of film school to do this movie. Because he didn't like Jason either. And it is so obvious in this movie. Jason kills one person in this movie as Jason. One person. Getting back to the opening, I do want to give this movie credit. Doesn't deserve it in a lot of spots, but the and I actually wrote it in my notes. The movie peaked at the opening. It does have this Friday tone. It's got nice dust shots, and the music is back from you know Manfredini pumps yeah. up this score. But the but his opening, it's got this nice atmosphere. And when the um, undercover naked nineteen ninety three booty SWAT lady. Got a little bit of good tension when she's changing the light bulb. And I'm like, you know, if you have no idea how shitty this movie is and you're watching, you're like, okay. Yeah, when but you're once, watching. Go ahead, I'm sorry. But I'm saying once Jason appears, it all goes to shit. If it was just a person in the woods in a cabin, then yeah, all that would make sense as far as what she's doing. But once you find out that it was all an elaborate plan, like all these oh, things I- that happened previous are – they're fucking head scratching. The plan is bananas. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're definitely right about the plan being fucking bananas. I mean, it's just so off the wall, crazy, but I get it. You know, at this point, you know, Jason's been around all these movies. Like somebody had to take notice, right. For 83 dead bodies plus other suspected deaths. So they lead Jason out into this clearing. And this is where he goes even more off the rails. These, these fucking lights, you know, start shining on him. Dudes jump out from under these black tarps or whatever, where they've been hiding and they start shooting Jason and whatever. But a couple things. First one's going to be the dudes rappelling down the tree that are just shooting from the hip. They're just, I, I don't know what I was watching at this point, but these dudes are just sliding down, shooting, going crazy. And the other thing is <clears throat> we're supposed to be in the crystal Lake area, right? Jason's backyard. They weren't. A, he he didn't notice they were yeah, setting up. Exactly. He wasn't aware of this setup. Like, I, I, it seems absurd. And I guess you know, maybe the thought process is that horror fans are idiots and they won't notice this or they won't care. And here's well, my this, biggest. Oh, go ahead. You, you tell me what you're going to say, then I'm going to tell you my biggest gripe about this. Well, look, yeah, Jason didn't notice what was going on in his back fucking yard. He's a swamp boy. He's got the mind of an eleven year old. SWAT members who set up a perimeter didn't notice that Creighton Duke just happened to walk inside the perimeter. Oh, yeah. Just hanging out in the fucking bushes. <laughs> I don't think so. Here's my biggest complaint. And I'll probably mention it again in my final thoughts. But my biggest complaint about this is there is no camp Crystal Lake. Or not no camp, but there's no Crystal Lake, period. You don't see the lake. You, you see a cabin, uh, things like that. But the, the lake itself is almost as much of a character as Jason is. And we've seen the lake. I think maybe we didn't see it in part five, but we've seen it in every other movie, right? The, the lake has been there, even to the point where the lake somehow got connected to an ocean, which therefore makes it not be a lake, but whatever. But still, no Crystal Lake. You know what? I didn't even think about that when you watch this movie because you don't even think about Jason, this movie is set up like a where's Poochie situation. 
Like when Poochie's not on scene, why don't we have somebody saying, where's Poochie? Like Jason's nowhere could be found in this movie at all. So I didn't even think about the lake. Yeah. Then he gets blown the fuck up. Oh my God. And some of the sound work in this movie. It is so over-exaggerated. And I know you just uh, shit on the score a little bit, but I'll say it was better than the music in Freddy's Dead. Uh, before we even get into Freddy's Dead, I'll just put that out there. It was better. At least you got no, no, no. We'll I'll, I'll disagree. Uh, well, we must not listen to the same soundtracks. Uh, but we'll get into it when we get to Freddy's Dead. Um, Side note, though, because why not? Because you you led us down this path. You know who did the opening song to Freddy's Dead? I know there was three Goo Goo Dolls in the songs in that. Three? Goo- yes, it was Goo Goo Dolls. Yeah. Wow. No wonder they wrote. Uh, name and slide. They had to overcome the taste of fucking Freddy's dead. But uh, yeah, like I was going to say to me, uh, you, you said that the, the music in this is better to you, which I, Harry Manfredini, God bless your soul. I'm sure you are a sweet, beautiful man, but you phone this one in. And when the opening credits start, it has this made for TV movie feel like Holy shit. Like, oh, this is a movie from TNT, 1993. Oh, this movie's following Silk Stalkins on USA. No, I agree with that. When we watch that uh, first opening scene, too, and the way it looks, like, I remember the movie looking horrible. Um, and the, the opening scene backs that up. I think it does start to look a little better. Maybe it's because I was watching it on my fucking computer and I wasn't watching it on my TV. Maybe the smaller screen helped. Make it look not as bad. I don't know. Um, but that opening scene was horrible. Uh, the sooner we got by that, the better. But the opening scene also, it accomplished what Sean Cunningham wanted, even though he fucking denies it. And he got rid of the mask. That was one thing that, you know, Adam Marcus had said, Sean Cunningham's main directive to him was to get rid of the fucking mask. And then Sean I saw Cunningham, that in the book. Yeah. Yeah. Sean Cunningham tried to deny that and say, oh, I wouldn't say that. Why would we get rid of the mask? But we've seen interviews where Sean Cunningham has not been a fan of the mask. So for him to deny saying that, it's almost like ah, there's evidence to point to the contrary. We have to believe Marcus on this, right? Because Well, the mask is Jason. Yeah. At this point, so, of yeah. course. It's iconic. Yeah. And he doesn't like Jason. Yeah. And. You give us a horrible version of the mask at that, too. It's not like, let's just get rid of the mask, but, you know, hey. I mean, he said so much in that Crystal Lake Memories book how, like, he wanted the rights pretty much just to make money. Yeah. But that's, and that's one thing that I think Sean Cunningham is, I won't fault him for being honest because he's always been honest about making the movies to make money. You know, the original Friday the 13th was made so they can make money. So yeah. at least he's honest about that. But, once again, if you're trying to make money, then why fucking get rid of Jason? <laughs> and here's my other thing. Even if you're not a fan of Jason, and this is supposed to be the final Friday the 13th movie with Jason in it, why not just give the audience what they fucking want? You're so against Jason that even in this swan song, or would-be swan song for Jason Voorhees, you're like, no, motherfucker, you're not going to be in this movie except for like 10 minutes. Fuck you and Fuck you, fans. It's it's crazy how you can have your blinders on. 
like he is with, you know, he's only in it for the money, which is not a problem. I mean, that's hot, you know, making movies is a business. But when you have something that is, is proven to make money and you rebel against it because you, you didn't create that. Yeah. Technically, you know, I mean, what are we doing? You know? And, and one other thing before we move past this, and I'm, I'm going to point out that I hate it about this movie. And I've, I hate it anytime it happens is Jason's groaning or grunting. Oh, it's, you know, if it happens, it sounds like he's trying to take a shit. Cause I think it happened in part three or maybe part two. It's like once or twice, but for the most part, he's silent. And you know, if you get stabbed in the fucking heart with a pitchfork, you're probably going to make a noise. But in this movie, it's throughout. And then at one point he even talks. When he possesses another character. He does. They break their own fucking rules. Yeah. But in, in it's in, in Jason's grinding defense, because I know what you're talking about in the second and third one. I think both of them, he kind of makes a little noise. You can make the case that he's still human. Yeah. Well, and it's not, it's not throughout either. You know, it's, no, it's like a one-off in this movie. It's like watching a fucking porn. Ugh, ugh. I can there is one scene in this, this movie that's funny. filmed like a porn. Oh, you'll have to tell me. I maybe I dozed out on that one. I don't think so. So we get we get to that mortuary scene or whatever, and it's like you said, these are horrible fucking sets too in this movie. But the dude's dissecting Jason, you know, making little jokes about the number of bullets and stuff like that. One thing I did like. And one thing I liked that the movie did that you don't see in Freddy's Dead is the special effects. Well, you see special effects in Freddy's Dead, but they're stupid special effects here. Like that when he's got that heart and he's eating it, that looks fucking nasty. Like that's a good effect. Like I'm that's, almost like, Ugh. okay, spoiler alert. That's the one redeeming quality about this movie is um, the special effects was done by K and B. And they brought their A game. And there was gore in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. At least, at least there was fucking gore in the movie. I didn't like the lights, you know, coming in and out and shit like that. That looked cheesy. You didn't necessarily need it. I could have got the point with, um, no, I mean, that looked horrible. Yeah. With the guy eating a heart and, you know, becoming possessed. Although I'll say this too, because we see the worm transfer from body to body later on. Right. And then it becomes a demon slug with arms or whatever fucking baby fetus. Where was it at when he ate the heart? I guess that the flashing lights with the heart made it that in his body. Yeah. So the special special effects there were great though. Other than the, the lights, the lights sucked. Well, in terms of the death scenes, you could argue and I would that this is probably the second best special effects Friday movie outside of part four. There's so, some pretty graphic scenes. Yeah. And then, and then um, we're at a point now where Kane Hodder's not playing Jason, right? In our conversations before we started doing this podcast, you know, when we were just, you know, a couple jackasses talking about movies and shit. I mean, we're I, still the. Yeah, well, yeah, we're still just a couple pieces of shit. We're just letting people listen to us now, but well, six. Yeah. I've, I've been outspoken on my shout out to Daniel and Mitchell. 
Well, Daniel's a part of it, so he doesn't count. But um, <laughs> I, I've never been a big fan of Kane Hodder playing Jason. I don't like his exaggerated movements. But he did bring one thing to it, and it was consistency, at least, right? I mean, he did play Jason in four movies, and whatever your thoughts are, he was consistent with the character. And he tried to share that consistency with the other actors and give them tips on how to portray Jason. Because at this point, Jason has mannerisms. So why would they change even though he's jumping from body to body? Jason's going to act the way Jason does, right? And there was one actor in particular from what I uh, was reading that just didn't give a shit about what Kane Hodder was trying to share with him. And that was uh, uh, Stephen Culp, who played the sleazy boyfriend. Yeah. I think it was Stephen. That's his name, right? Stephen Culp. Yeah, that's him, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, he he was just like, that's not how my character would play Jason. And what the fuck's your character, dude? Your character's not playing Jason. Jason's already a character. You know, it's not a, just take the advice. Be consistent. You know, it's not like you're some big shot. I mean, what else have you done? Who cares? You're you're in a fucking movie where the character's been established. We don't need your artistic take on how you play, well, that's just him being a, f- a fucking prick. Yeah. So like I said, I mean, not the biggest fan of Kane Hodder, but you do got to appreciate the guy that cares about the character enough to be like, Hey guys, you know, here's some pointers and, you know, for consistency and stuff like that. I mean, Kane Hodder's at least shown himself to care about the Jason character more, more than can be said about Sean Cunningham. Right. Well, yeah, but that's, that's, night and day comparison. So and we get into the point now where to me, it's no longer a Friday the 13th movie. It's you can call it a Friday the 13th movie all you want, but at this point it's just a possession movie, right? We're moving from body to body. We don't see Jason. We get this absurd backstory. Well, not even really backstory because it's just a couple lines of dialogue from Creighton Duke, but we start, um, you know, Jason takes over the, the coroner and we start getting introduced to some of our other characters. And but did you notice, I hate to cut you off because I don't want to skip over it. Did you notice like the, uh, the, uh, the autopsy scene um, when the, when the guy who ends up being possessed by Jason, he's, he's speaking into this mic that makes it seem like he's a DJ. Oh Yeah. Like he's broadcasting day. <laughs> You're listening to, I don't know, CLK. Yeah, right. <laughs> 98. The Breeze. And we're doing an autopsy on Jason Voorhees. Yeah. I'm hearing these voices. But did you notice uh, the morgue worker who ends up getting killed? That's Dean Laurie, the writer. One of the writers. And uh, he went on to like, do some really good stuff like arrest development type shit, like top of the line stuff. But when he says, uh, when he starts talking shit to Jason, he's like, I'd like to take a mango size crap right on your hockey mask. Yeah. I'm like, that's the best description of how this movie, <laughs> how the filmmakers treated this movie. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, and that sweet mullet that Kane Hodder had. Holy shit. That could beat the band, man. That mullet. And then, like, when when Dean Laurie's character comes back um, and Kane Hodder, like, he comes back with, like, pizza, whatever, that I'm working late dinner 
you know? Yeah. We get pizza and coffee because those two mix. But <laughs> Kane Hodder stops him and he has to like frisk him. <laughs> I think Kane Hodder felt him up because <laughs> the morgue worker, oh, yeah. he like, he just starts laughing. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. He's getting a little fresh. So, yeah, like I said, though, we, we, we get past that. We start getting introduced, I guess, to our main characters in the movie now, right? Well, no, no. He was going to, Jason was going to let the security guards live until they insulted him. Like, he leaves and he's got this POV shot. And Jason, who's the, cor- the uh, coroner, walks past him. And then they're like, yeah, fuck Jason's small dick asshole or some shit. <laughs> and then Jason, like, turns around. He's like, what'd you say about my 11-year-old penis? Yeah, I think you can't hire calls Jason a pussy. So do we finally get to meet the, uh, the characters now? Well, yeah, you're just trying to skip over some good material here. I mean, that's I'm not the asshole. You're the asshole. You're the asshole. All right. Yeah, so Jason has killed the security guards. I think at this point, we get to the cafe, right? Or is it the scene with the uh, Creighton Duke interview first? It's Creighton Duke. Okay. So yeah. So we get introduced to Creighton Duke. Creighton Duke's a fucking asshole. I'm just, you know. Oh, I, uh, I love Creighton Duke. The character's interesting, but like the way they have him portrayed, he wants $500,000. It's Quint. To, to capture it's Jason. It's Quint from Jaws. From what? Obviously. Hmm? From what? Jaws, Quinn. Oh. oh, okay. Once five hundred thousand dollars to to kill, in your mic it kind of cut out. That's why I've asked twice. But once five hundred thousand dollars to capture, kill Jason Voorhees, you know, famed bounty hunter. He shows. He's up. called six serial killers. Yeah, that's why he's a famed bounty hunter. Well, what have you done? Um, I talked about this guy catching six serial killers. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> Fuck you. I watched Tiger King during the early quarantine. That's what I did. I, I actually didn't. Um, you you didn't miss much. Yeah, I noticed it was a craze. And I'm just like, ah, yeah, I'm good. I don't need to see a dude in fucking cutoffs and a super mullet. But we we meet, uh, we go to the diner, right? And we meet Jason. No, 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 no. What? You're skipping over um, the best scene in the movie. When the hard copy guy, the American case file reporter, is interviewing Creighton Duke, and he asks Creighton Duke, he's like, when I say these words, what are the first words that come to your mind? He's like, Jason Voorhees. Oh, yeah, you're right. And I do got that down, too. And he's like, it reminds me of a little girl in a pink dress sticking a hot dog through a donut. Yeah. What what? are we doing? And now that you say that, I forget about something else I meant to hit on before we left the fucking coroner's office. No, no, no. no we're, we're done. Going, no, we're no, going back. No, no, we're not going back. No. Go stick a hot dog through a fucking donut, you piece of shit, and listen to this. Well, it'd be we, the fourth time I've done it today. How the fuck is Jason cast a shadow of Jason when he's no, in another body? No, What are we doing? I have that written down. Yeah. Cast a fucking reflection. It's not very stealthy. Um, it's like peak stupid, man. Peak stupid. Spoiler alert. You are going to hear a lot on Freddy's dead. But they managed to one up themselves every scene. But that's just. So Jason, ca- Jason casts a reflection. 
Creighton Duke wants $500,000 and has a fascination. No, with Creighton Duke has a lot of questions to answer for his description of Jason. But I'm just saying he wants $500,000 and he has a fascination with hot dogs and donuts. No, and little girls in pink dresses. It doesn't end there. Like this is fucking building blocks to a problem that we need to address. But we we finally get to the fucking cafe, which is a Jason themed cafe, right? Where well, Jason's hang on. hold on, I'm gonna say this before you cut me off. Where Jason's half sister works. If you're Jason Voorhees half sister, why in the fuck would you work in a diner that sells Jason burgers and whatever the fuck the fries were called? Chopped up fingers or some shit. No, this is at Camp Crystal Lake, too. So this is like you go into Auschwitz <laughs> and selling, I don't know, you 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 name the joke. But like, <laughs> it's like you go into Milwaukee and open up at a Jeffrey Dahmer diner, you know? Yeah. And you're Jeffrey Dahmer's sister? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't but, make any fucking sense. I, I, I just want to, if you were Jeffrey or not Jeffrey Dahmer, but if you were Jason Voorhees sister and you fucking knew that, wouldn't you want to get away from New Jersey? Wouldn't you want to get away from Camp Crystal Lake? No, my dream would be to work at that diner and to I date guess. a man 30 years older than me. I guess so. To date Pete Paul, who's the sheriff. Right. right. But to go back to the hard case, uh, American hard case file or whatever, the, the sleazy tabloid reporter. He, meant, he he says the words Jason style murders. Like Jason leaves a calling card <laughs> with his murders. Like, oh, you can tell by the diagonal of this cut that this is coming from a a right swing of a machete. I have a thought with um with Jason's sister, you know, at the diner, she meets Creighton Duke, you know, who dating her grandfather. Is a fucking asshole at the diner, but wants her help, you know, and he, he makes comments about her blowing him and things like that, right? But if I was Jason's sister and he's like, name your price, I'd have been like $500,000. <laughs> I just saw you on TBS for five hundred, so I'll take five hundred. dollars <laughs> no, Apparently, profit. everybody is watching this American Case Files, yeah, too. exactly. See if you make a fucking profit now. I want $501,000. Just so you can go red, Creighton Duke. I want $500,000 and I want that cowboy hat. <laughs> right. I mean, he's an interesting character. He has a presence. The actor has a presence on the screen, but his character's a fucking dick. No, I like Creighton Duke. He's Side note, dick. is played by Steve Williams, who, who's who been good in other things, but give a shout out to Leftovers Season 2. He was really good in that. He's Leftovers is a... Which bounty hunter is a sweetheart, though? I don't know. I don't know any value hunters, but still, and we're gonna, we'll get into it more with him being a dick. But this is where Steve comes in too, right? After, uh, yeah, he's at the diner because everybody's at the diner. Yeah, everybody's at the. There's Jason nothing diner. to do at Camp Crystal Lake but go to this fucking diner. So I did. I did read that Steve was meant to be Tommy Jarvis, Tommy Jarvis, originally, which would make sense for t- fucking Tommy Jarvis just to hang around Crystal Lake and you know have a baby with Jason's niece. Because why not? Yeah. But because New Line apparently only bought the rights to Jason Voorhees, couldn't have Tommy Jarvis in this movie. So we got Steve, who you would believe is supposed to be an athlete because he has a letterman's jacket on, but doesn't look very athletic. But I was proven wrong. Because later on in the movie, when he 
He does. Well, leaps over those handcuffs. Yeah. Like, holy shit. Yeah, maybe this guy you know, was athlete. Whatever we say about Steve, I, you know, I think John D. LeMay, you know, he did a good job. Well, he was like, the most likable character in the movie, too. Yeah. Well. Because even Jason's niece wasn't very likable. No. God, she's such in the background of this movie. Yeah, exactly. She is so far in the background. She literally just has the the one thing that she really does at the end of the movie. But it's, it's, That's, it's yeah, she gets the kill and blow on Jason. But it's, it's crazy. Steve, it's Steve's movie. I mean, he's it he, is. He's carrying it. I mean, he's um, he's the focal point. And thankfully, you know, they do do the smart thing and they let the motherfucker live. Because. Well, Jason was struggling killing him. Well, that's because he's a finely tuned athlete. Well, his Letterman jacket had three patches. Yeah. So there you go. You know, we get the we get the scene at the diner. You know, we get introduced to Steve. You know, Jason's sister. She's like, "Oh, Steve, if you want to make things right with this uninteresting daughter of mine, you know, there's still a chance." Blah blah blah. Come to my house at eleven. That's a pretty late. So late. Like, Steve, come to my house at 11. We'll fuck, and then I'll tell you how to get my daughter back. I'll be honest with you. The first time I saw this was in, like, 93. It was a $3 rental. You know, I was, like, 10. Yeah. I thought they were boyfriend and girlfriend. Yeah, the way it's set up, because they make you believe that she's the character. Yeah. And because he's more her age. Yeah, exactly. Than her boyfriend. Yeah, because she's dating a fucking grandpa. Yeah. Then we get, so we get that little setup. We get introduced to a couple characters, you know, you're kind of led to believe that, you know, Jason's sister is going to be a player. Obviously Steve is, you know, kind of set up. And then we get the, the teens, uh, hitchhiking. <laughs> no, Steve picks him up. That's right. He's on his way to go he picks beat her. Them up. And look, this, oh my God. Steve's I feel like you can his, read it. Steve's on his way to his booty call, right? Yeah, with his baby's mama. Mama. Yeah, a lot of baby and mama drama in this movie. Oh, so much baby mama mama drama. And so he picks up these three hitchhikers who are wanting to just camp out at Crystal Lake. And you have three, not three dudes, not three chicks. You have a couple and a third wheel who is just, she tags along for reasons unknown in the hopes of finding a stranger in the woods to fuck and ready to go with the first person she comes across. And I can guarantee you, Steve being a man of honor and integrity and who we should strive to be like every day turns her down. And I can guarantee you Steve's biggest regret in life. He still thinks about it to this day was why didn't not, I, I mean, how, how often when I was single every day, I would just lay in bed awake thinking, I just wish a girl would come up to me and be like, Josh, I want to have sex. Right. And Steve gets that opportunity. Steve's living a dream. And he turns it down. And he's not bound to anybody either. He could have done it. It's not like no. he, he's in a relationship. He just had to go talk to his baby's mama mama. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy. But he does. He does avoid dying. And, I, you know, the death um, with the girl when she's riding the one boy. The sleep that's bag. the porn scene. I can't believe you didn't recognize that. Well, that's a because it was that's a pretty good death. I like that one. Oh, it's a it, it might be the best death in the series. 
Yeah. Seriously, K and B well, brought their A game. Well, that's what uh, that's what um, Marcus said. So I refuse to just go along with that. Since you're trying to proclaim your I shit, mean, he can be right about one thing in his life. Could be, but I, there's still some other deaths I like. Um, it's, but yeah, it's but so funny though. Before, it's so funny though. Sorry, because like, you better not be I, about I know, to say what I'm going to say. I wasn't trying to. No, well, I just I feel wanna, like. Uh-uh. No, you want to. You you want to go at a breakneck speed here, and I just want to I want to soak in this movie because there's a lot to digest. Well, that's because I'm trying not to have a four hour podcast. Our fan will love it, <laughs> but that fan's already complained about a three hour podcast. Well, we didn't have a three hour podcast, did we? We, we did the first one that we didn't release. Oh, wide. okay, yeah, yeah. It was us. We still don't know what the fuck we were doing, but even then, we had no idea. But I love the three campers, especially the two girls, because the guy, he's just sitting in the tent with a heart on the entire time. Mm-hmm. But the two girls have to go pee. And every time they hear a noise in the woods, they just laugh. <laughs> well, and I was actually going to make a point about the camping scene, uh, but you. I just figured you wanted to skip to, to the end. Yeah, you thought I was about to jump forward because you're a piece of shit. Um, but what I was going to say is. <laughs> That's not. It's because you're a piece of shit. The world knows. No, it is. It you're is. A hipster it is. piece of shit at that. The, the point I'm making is, is the one girl wants to have sex, right? And the other girl obviously wants to have sex, but she has nobody to have sex with. And I don't know why they just didn't have a fucking threesome if you're that horny. But she's like, hey, can I use the tent for 30 minutes? And she's like, oh, you can have the tent all night. It's beautiful. I'm going to sleep out here. I don't care how beautiful it is. I'm not going to sleep on the fucking ground. Because Hell no. They're by a lake. So there's always that chance of a water moccasin, right? Well, you don't know they're by a lake. They never saw it. We never see a lake. We never see it, but we have to presume because they went to Camp Crystal Lake. Unless they just fucking dried up the lake and put up condos. But there's still a chance for snakes. Now I know, you know, a snake's not going to fucking just come and bite you while you're sleeping. But also, I'm not taking the chance. There's fucking ants on the ground, right? Like, what yeah, ground have you seen that doesn't have fucking ants? Bugs, mosquitoes, rats. I mean, awesome. just outside, man. I, yeah. I ain't, I ain't doing that. Like I've watched enough survival shows, and I've seen Les Stroud talk about these places not to fucking sleep. I'm not just gonna sleep on the fucking ground. No, absolutely no, and it's not even comfortable. Yeah, she doesn't have a pillow. She's using her arm as a pillow. Yeah, and she's gonna be cold. They just got back from skinny dipping. So yeah, they are by lake because we see them fucking wet. They couldn't show the lake yeah, in that true. scene. They couldn't at least just show them like running out of the fucking lake put Crystal Lake in the movie. Well, like I said in my synopsis, they, they had the money for four locations. The diner, the police station, the house, and the manor. You could have dug a slight hole in the ground, took a pot of water, poured it into the uh, hole, filmed it at the very edge to make it look like it was just water at the shore. Sean Cunningham has a very anti-digging hole stance. It's holes in Jason. But it, it's funny because the guy, the boyfriend... <clears throat> He calls himself, he tells her, he, he says something, and he calls himself Tony the Wonder Llama. Wonder Did you Llama. catch that? No, I didn't. Like, what a self-deprecating nickname to give yourself. Hey, I'm Josh, the exuberant sloth squirrel. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> hey, I, baby, won't you jump on this exuberant squirrel well, you say that, but I think one of my brothers might have referred to himself as Squirrel there for a little bit. 
So we end up at Jason or Voorhees' estate or manor after this, right? I tell you what, I didn't know a camp cook could be rolling it down like that. Exactly. This house has got 34 rooms. It's fucking huge. Trap doors. I know they mentioned Jason's father, Elias Voorhees, but in my mind, he's a truck driver, like driving semis. I don't know. Maybe he was a doctor. Oh, I doubt that. You, but, you, didn't, if, you wouldn't work at a camp being a cook if your husband owned. Well, I'm assuming that she's doing that for fun because she has a huge ass house. But we got this huge ass fucking estate, and apparently Jason's learned how to shave. And I don't even know what the point of shaving was for. But he lathers. You're talking cop. about shaving that that cop. deputy. Yeah, he fucking lathers him up. He shaves him just so he can f- spit the fucking worm in his mouth so he can get a new body. Because at this point, old boys, you know, walking very crookedly and looks like he's about to die and shit. I mean, did they both have to be naked? I mean, did he have to be naked too? Was he naked? I don't even remember. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I, know, I know the director said he wanted to have just as many naked dudes as he had naked females. The one thing I would say to that is I get where you're coming from on that, and I'm fine with that. But shouldn't your naked dudes be attractive dudes? Well, first off, you have no naked dudes in this. Well, you have uh, the one guy at the um, the camp. When getting ready. You almost see Dong there. But it's not like you're seeing Bush. Wait a minute. Strange wool. Wow. <laughs> but it's not like you're seeing that. You're just seeing, you know, breast and ass, right? So on the dude, you get to see the breast and the ass. But it's a it's a reasonably attractive guy, right? The deputy is some regular looking piece of shit. I'm pretty sure the ladies in the theater were like, Yes, score. Finally, this guy naked. Yeah, his name was Josh. And Josh's have been known to be very ugly people. Yeah, well, you know. But it's funny, though. That's not true. Um, I don't know about any other Joshes. I just know about the one Josh. I mean, you can you only can speak of what you know. But it's funny, though, because when he walked up to, what's her name? Jason's sister? Diana. Diana. Like, she's doing this whole stereotypical uh, scary movie scene to where, like, she's walking out the diner at night. And... You know, it's shadows are playing their part. And she goes to feed this stray dog. Same stray dog, I think, which is at the very end. But she goes and she's got her back. You know, she's like an ice vending machine. And Josh, the character who gets possessed, he comes up to her and like, hey, Diana. (laughs) She jumps. He's like, oh, I didn't mean to scare you. You mean by sneaking up on people in the dark without mm-hmm. alerting them to your presence? I didn't mean to scare you. Yeah, so we get the fucking creepy deputy sneaking up on people, like you said. He gets captured by Jason because this is a first. His girlfriend gets a pretty good, it's a quick death. It's, it's effective, though. Well, elaborate. You brought it up. Talk about it. I thought you, I thought you would comment on it. Oh, you see, that's how this works. Mm-hmm. That's what you Did thought. You want- that's what you thought. <laughs> that's not how it works. No, he meets her in the parking lot and she's like, Ooh, baby, I only have till 1030. And they're like, Ooh, we're going to fuck for 20 minutes. <laughs> and then um, the coroner, who's still Jason, comes up right behind her as she's about to get in the door of oh, her car talking- and he just slams her. Oh, yeah. That's pretty good. Like, it's quick, but it's effective because 
Yeah. Well, I, I guess I just let that one slip my mind because Jason took a prisoner and outside of the remake, when is Jason taking a prisoner? Well, and he didn't go ahead. Well, he didn't really take a prisoner. He did, but he didn't. And it's inconsistent because he lathers this dude up. He shaves him, strips him down. Like you said, so he can transfer from body to body, but he never goes through this process again. Every other transfer is just a quick transfer, right? He just holds mm-hmm. somebody down and, and it's already been shown that apparently if you get to Jason worm, you get superhuman strength. So why this, it's okay. why this ritual for this one character that you don't see again? And, I, and I'm assuming it's just so we can get a shot of the fucking estate, you know, so we can see that Jason lived a life of, Luxury. Yeah. Also, where did all this instruments and stirrups come from to do this body transfer? Because he's got him strapped down in a what looks like a fucking gurney. Well, very elaborate. And I'm going to jump ahead to a couple things real quick just to talk about some shit that we see in the house. They have that quick shot of the Necronomicon. Oh, Steve picks it up. I thought he was about to cut his finger on it. The Necronomicon Ex Mortis, Book of the Dead. And then there's another later in the movie towards the end when Creighton Duke falls through the floor and then yep. Worm falls yep. through. There's the crate that says yep. Arctic Expedition, Julia Carpenter. Like, oh, yeah, you guys are so clever. And I guess, and I saw where the director was like, oh, yeah, you were supposed to see the Necronomicon and figure out that Jason was a dead eye, that Jason's mom made a deal. And read from the Necronomicon to give Jason his power so he couldn't die. No, you can't assume that people would fucking figure that out just because you have a, a Necronomicon in there. Because then later on, you have a fucking call out to the thing. So would you assume that Jason's a fucking alien also? You can't have exposition that's not there, right? You can't just put something in the movie and expect that to explain a whole elaborate thing that people are supposed to pick up on and put two and two together. When I wrote it down, because I, n- I noticed, the ne- obviously, the nef- Necronomicon, you can't help but notice it, but also notice yeah. that crate. Was when, uh, yeah. And what I wrote down was, how dare you, Jason Goes to Hell? You're First off, you're making me think of better movies. That's And they mentioned the Myers Place. I don't know if you know, if you caught that. I didn't. Yeah. I mean, I made, I made notes about, the movie tried too hard to be cute with the call out to, you know, better movies with the, uh, Arctic expedition crate and, you know, calling it Julia Carpenter's a Jay Carpenter. You know, we, we get you. And then obviously the Necronomicon. I heard that was from, um, from IMDB that that was from actually a, uh, tales from the dark side nod and not the thing. But I, uh, my first thought was the thing. Yeah. Mine too. Uh, maybe it was, um, I'm assuming Tales from the Dark Side series, or was it the Tales from the Dark Side book? I mean, not book. I mean, movie. movie. Yeah, the movie. Yeah, so I, I guess if it was, I didn't catch that. But even then, it still, it still has to be a callback to the thing, right? It has to be. I mean, and, and then at that point, Carpenter. It would, well, it would be a callback to both movies: the Thing from Another World and the Thing, because the Thing from Another World is in the North Pole, which would be the Arctic. And then the carpenter is at the South Pole, which is the Antarctic. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, 
but yeah, and, and we jumped ahead a little bit, but yeah, we exactly. So I, as far as the straps and stuff, I'm assuming it's just all there because you have all these other fucking things in your house that, you know, why would a, a trap door? There's literally a trap door that well, created that, false there. Yeah. So you got a trap door, you've got the Necronomicon, you've got this, this uh, crate from the Arctic expedition, you know, why wouldn't you have a couple straps at this point? You know, it's all just normal shit that a cook at a summer camp would have in their home. I'm assuming there's like a stately manner, a hedge maze in the back. That's reminiscent of the overlook hotel. It's probably got Jack Nicholson frozen in it. Perpetually winter in this maze. Yeah. But, uh, we, we got, uh, Steve rolling up to see Diana at her house at 11 o'clock at night. And, I think at this point, the deputy's shown up and started attacking her. Yeah, started attacking her, trying to transfer. And, and Diana has seen Jason's reflection because you know, he's fucking Nosferatu. I don't know. Well, Jason gets distracted by his own reflection, too. I'm like, damn, I look good. Wow. Damn. That perm coming in nice. These crunches are paying off. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Steve comes in to fucking save her, uh, the Tommy Jarvis wannabe. And Jason ends up killing his fucking sister. And not very bright. Yeah. Yeah, not very bright. Kills his fucking sister. And we later find out that Jason can only be, be reborn through a family member. So knowing that, it doesn't make sense that Jason would kill his sister, right? And I can't remember, was it was it his sister or was it Steve that Put the uh, rod through his head. Through his head? No, she shot him in the head. And then Steve put the rod through his chest from uh, from the back. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. He got shot in the head. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He got shot through the side mm-hmm. of his head and it come out the other side. So a killing blow, right? Uh, a normal person would be dead. And, and I bring that up because later on when Jason transfers bodies again, that body's not just dead. It goes through the whole act of dying, which didn't make any fucking sense. Because once Jason leaves the body and its brain is not functioning, shouldn't that person be dead? Instead of going. No, that was such, a, boss, it was that a, was such spe- a good body horror scene, though. It was. Man. That was I mean, gross. It was, good, it was good special effects, but still doesn't make any fucking sense. No, well, it's like we said earlier, though. This, this movie does not follow its rules. And at that point, if you're not following the rules, Okay, I understand that. Uh, kudos to K and B on that. That was gross. That yeah. was like the fly level gross. Yeah, no, it was it was a great special effect. I'm just talking about the logic behind it. It was pretty <sighs> logic. I mean, logic. Matters. We've established it. Logic be damned in this movie. Mm, maybe for you, I'm still a logical person. Damn it. So the sister's dead. Her. Boyfriend shows up, um, the, the geriatric boyfriend, sees Steve and immediately, because what reasonable person wouldn't think Steve killed his girlfriend, right? Yeah, he's covered in blood. Yeah, and well, we say that, but we've also established that everybody knows about Jason and Jason's been killed multiple times. So maybe, maybe something like this isn't out of the realm of possibility. Or maybe it is. I don't know. But anyways, Steve's hauled off to jail. I don't jail. know. With this town making Jason burgers, like it feels like they're they've put this this guy in their rear view, though. 
Yeah. Well, have they? Because they set up a huge fucking operation to catch his ass. And they did. And they killed him. And then. So, yeah, they've killed him. And whatever. Steve's about to shoulder the blame now. And he's hauled off to jail so he can conveniently meet Creighton Duke and get sucked into one of the most fucked up bargains ever. So defend Creighton Duke here, snapping people's fingers. What kind of fucking sadist is Creighton Duke? He's like, ah, man, you got to pay the price to get this information. And I don't think you're willing to pay. Give me your hand. Well, look, he's a bounty hunter. He's he plays by his own rules. But man, was that scene very erotic. Creighton Duke was just caressing his hand before he would break it. Yeah. Like very slowly. And and I love how Steven just goes along with it. Like he's just like, all right, I'm game. <laughs> like keep breaking my fingers. <laughs> like he could be like he just met Creighton Duke. Like he has no idea that this guy wrote a book, you know? <laughs> and he's just like, yeah, just go ahead and break. Because what Creighton Duke is saying is fucking, <laughs> it's insane. And Steve's like, yeah, I'll pay that price, babe. Yeah. Every day. He's going to pay the fucking price, but then also pay it again. And, and again. Supposedly, the backstory with Creighton Duke that you don't see was that Jason killed his sister. And so Creighton Duke has dedicated his life to hunting down Jason. But him snapping people's fingers for information on how to stop Jason seems to go against that. (laughs) I mean, nothing about this movie tracks, though. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, let Creighton Duke break this guy's fingers. I know you want to kill Jason and I want you to kill Jason, but I also want you to do it one handed. Yeah. I want you as disabled as you can be. Now give me your foot, Steve. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, he finally, after he snaps fucking half his fingers, he's like, you know what? This one's on the house. <laughs> Whoop. You fucking do. It's not like his finger is going to make a difference. Now it's like, Creighton Duke's like, this one's on the house because I've just been feeding you bullshit this entire time. <laughs> right. And then he, uh, <laughs> oh man, uh, fucking tricks the cop. His Look, buddy. He, he did have His a legitimate, buddy. he did have a legitimate injury at least. I mean, I guess. I mean, but like, it's been established this Steven guy has one friend. One, and it's a guy who works for the sheriff's department. Yeah. Who stays his friend, even though Steven's constantly, you know, fucking him over. Yeah, we'll get there. Because that, that fight scene in the dirt was. <laughs> well, him ramming his fucking head into the cell. <laughs> like, I could, get it, I could get it if you knocked him out. But he didn't even knock him out. He's just like, hey, buddy. Bow. <laughs> Fuck you. Hope you get a knot. Thanks, Steve. You're the best. Yeah. And then he goes, and then he goes to the old Voorhees Manor, which I think is where the clue game was originally based on. (laughs) Voorhees Manor. And that's when he's like, (laughs) he Tom Hanks is himself. 
and just falls through the floor, gets stuck like any hero does. <laughs> now, does he? Hold dangling. on, hold on. Um, he does that after he meets his baby for the first time, though, right? Because he briefly sees um, Jessica in the police station, you know, while he's covered in blood, and he gets taken away, so he doesn't get to meet his child then. But then he sees him at the diner. And the one guy gives him the car keys. That's before he goes to uh, Voorhees Estate, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And so he's like, this is the first time I've got to see my child. So you're desperate to get back with a woman that has not let you see your child. And I know it's hinted on later on that apparently Steve abandoned him. But that story's not fleshed out enough to think that Steve's a bad guy. It just looks like that she's acting like a cunt. Mm-hmm. You know, and Steve is going through hell or high water to fucking save her ass, and she's constantly pushing away. And it doesn't seem like she's very concerned about her mom dying because, oh boy, talks about the fact that he fucked her. Yeah, and the the morning after, yeah, her mom died at what we can only guess is around eleven o'clock that night. She comes into the house, uh one of these side characters who works at the diner is cleaning the blood from the carpet. And what's her name? What's the daughter's name? Christine? No, Jessica. Jessica. She comes in dressed in all black. She is already ready for the funeral. <laughs> hey, so fun fact about Jessica's character. And you may have was going to say this, but I'm going to beat you to it. Cause I got info. Now the director wanted Lori Holden to play that character oh, instead of the really? actress we got. And if your goal was to make Jessica unlikable, Lori Holden could do that because she did that job very well with Andrea on the walking dead. I think by the time her character got off the net show, everybody was ready for her to die. That's when I stopped watching. So, but, and that was, and I believe that was by design the way that character was written. Like she did a good job in that show and would have probably did a better job in this movie. Than the person we were given. What did I see her in recently? I think it was Dragged Across Concrete, which is a pretty good movie with Mel Gibson and Vince Vaughn. But that's a side note. Um, yeah. So then Stephen, after he sees his baby, and again, people are so nice to Stephen. Oh, hey, can, take my car. Yeah, you're right. I do want to backtrack for one second though, because um, we overlooked something. The fucking Jason rules that Creighton Duke comes up with in the jail cell. Where'd these come from? And I know we talked about the Necronomicon earlier, but even if his mom made a deal with the devil through the Necronomicon, which is just fucking far-fetched and shouldn't even be considered as some kind of continuity, how would Creighton Duke find it out? Because he didn't get a chance to fucking talk to Pamela Voorhees. No, how does Creighton Duke know any of this information? Yeah. Who would provide a fucking mystical dagger to kill Jason? Which never gets explained. Yeah. Not once. So a lot of plot devices. And that just shows up at the end. Usually, well, you know, good movies will use the concept of Chekhov's gun, right? Where you see an item and then it becomes relevant later on. Like, you see the dagger, I guess, in his hand at one point, right? But it's not. It's never given, like, the idea that it's going to be important. Especially since it fucking changes shape. No, it literally becomes a magical dagger as soon as he gives it to Jessica. Yeah. You know, I I was reading through that 
Jason Goes to Hell um, chapter in Crystal Lake Memories. And this movie, from what it sounds like, Sean Cunningham regretted hiring Adam Marcus because, like, they get into the editing room and they're like, we don't have a movie. Like, none of this shit makes sense, you know? And Cunningham was was known for wanting to speed actors up. Yeah. I, was I don't know if you that. read that. Yeah. And then he would he would film it at a... Um, 22 frames per second. Yeah. Which isn't standard. 24 frames per second standard. And it would fuck up the dialogue. You had to do everything an octave lower. Yeah. I guess he was giving those cues to Adam Marcus. And then, yeah, it's, it seems like it was real contentious. Um, the making of this movie and goddamn, like again, you see the final product and well, you you and film maybe the a, editor. You film a movie in twenty four frames per second, and then when you speed it up to the normal time, and he talked about that too, is it went from being a ninety minute movie to an eighty minute movie? Yeah, because you lost ten minutes just from the speeding up. Yeah, but we're gonna sit here, and Sean Cunningham's gonna say that there wasn't a movie, but can some of that just not be the fucking script? I mean. Which falls on both Cunningham as the producer and Adam Marcus. Though. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I'm just saying, but it's not like it's easy to sit there and shit on Adam Marcus, but you're also telling them like, hey, you got to get rid of the mask. Hey, you got to do this. You got to film in 22 frames per second. You know, you got to do all these things that normal people wouldn't do when they're making a movie. Then I'm going to shit on you after the process is done because you made a horrible movie, which let's not act like. Um, Sean Cunningham was out there directing masterpieces because Deep Star Six has like what a zero on Rotten Tomatoes. Well, and you know, hot take coming in. If it wasn't for Salvini, I don't think Friday Thirteenth would be what it is today. Yeah, it's a lot of POV shots in that movie. Like, yeah, it's a murder mystery, and then you don't get introduced to the murderer till the very end. Yeah. Which doesn't even make it a murder mystery. Exactly. Because there's no way you could solve that. No. Exactly. Like. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, a lot of a lot of shit there. But, yeah, you were talking about Steve and how everybody's being super nice to Steve. With the exception of, yeah. obviously, uh, Diana's, you know, sugar daddy. Because that's got to be his house, right? That can't be her house. Yeah, the, uh, that was a really nice house for a diner. Yeah. Uh, waitress. Yeah. And I know a lot, I mean, I know like there's a lot of waiters and waitresses that make a lot of money. Um, usually I'm assuming bigger cities or nice restaurants, maybe like smaller cities, but this is a Jason Voorhees themed diner. Can't be that lucrative. I, it's funny that you bring that up. That's the first thing I noticed. And maybe that's just my age, you know, you're like, Oh, look at Look at that nice living room for a waitress. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. And I mean, and you could speak on this with some authority. Um, you used to bartend. So it's not like, you know, we're just saying something. No, we shared we a living room. You know what my living room looked yeah. like. Well, I'm just saying it's not like we're speaking <laughs> on something that neither of us have any experience with. You have that experience. So you're uh, able to speak about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, uh, we, we shared a living room with shitty internet that, could only support one user at a time, so we had to plan our movies. <laughs> Josh, goddammit, are you watching SummerSlam 1990? <laughs> That's right. We gotta save this bandwidth, brother. <laughs> so everybody's super fucking 
fucking nice to Steve. Probably because they got extra internet to share. <laughs> hey, bro, you know Steve's giving out free internet over here? Right. He, Steve's got this hot spot, man. He'll let you get on it. He's a good guy. We think he killed somebody, but fuck it. Free fuck internet's it, free that internet. hotspot is fucking sweet. So he gets the fucking keys and it's off to Jason's estate to fucking fall through the floor. And... And then that's when we get introduced to the hard copy. I hold keep on. saying hard copy. Hold, hold on. Hard copy. I do, but one sec before we get there. I just thought about this. This literally just came to me. We have a Jason-themed diner, right? We have the fucking Jason, like, mansion. Why not turn that into a theme park? Why not just do tours, man? Yeah, or something. Yeah. Like, and, and apparently, like, his sister wow. has no problem milking the name because she's working at the fucking Jason diner. So why not fucking pimp that house out and make some money? Bruh, why aren't kids breaking into that to sleep there? Right. Like Halloween resurrection type shit, you know? Well, that's because they didn't have Buster Rhymes to lead them there. Kung Fu kick the door open. Right. That's what would have permanently killed Jason. Fucking roundhouse. Jason wouldn't have stood a chance against the, the Buster. <laughs> but yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead with what you were saying. No, I just have to make this point because I wrote it in my notes. Like, this is the movie I want to see. Like, you can make this movie. And I'm all in. I'm all in. Day one. So the hard copy guy steals a body from a morgue. A body that was murdered the night before in an ongoing crime investigation. Firstly... I'm impressed. That's how you get promoted in America. <laughs> and that's how you move up the corporate ladder. I'd rather see that movie, a heist movie involving a dead person being stolen from a morgue perpetrated by a news reporter to elevate his career. Yeah. How did he go about that? And then go fuck her daughter afterwards. Well, what else would you do? I mean, he's established himself as a real piece of shit with only like two lines of dialogue. And, yeah. you know, fucking Jessica's falling for this shit. And Steve, just such the good guy, doesn't care. I mean, he should have been like, nah, I'm good. You know what? This family problem is you guys. I'm going to move to California where fucking homicidal maniacs aren't transferring their essence through worms. The inner vaginal cavities. Yeah, or booty holes. I took it was a vagina. I like to think it went up a booty hole. Well, he had to be reborn, so I assumed he went in the veg and came out the veg. I mean I mean that makes sense, but I like to picture the demon dog going up the asshole. And I guess because Jessica's not supposed to know that she's a Voorhees, right? But um Is that the secret? Robert Campbell, yeah. This, because she doesn't know, right? And that's, yeah, because I remember like he's meeting the the mother in law. Yeah, and he she's gonna tell him, but then she dies. Yeah, and then Creighton Duke tells him after he pays the toll of two fingers. Um, and Robert Campbell was the character's name. Um, the hard copy sleazebag. He apparently knows, and says yeah. we're gonna ask her for permission to film here. Like, so you're just gonna spring that info on her when you ask her if we can film at your 
family estate that you knew nothing well, about. Well, after he laid that pipe, yeah. I guess so. And we he, we also forgot when Steve was exiting the police station, he made that jump through the cuffs, which obviously earned him his letterman jacket. No, that wasn't that wasn't the scene yet. Was it not? Oh, no, that's when he went back, isn't it? That's right, because he goes back to the police station. He gets handcuffed again. Yeah. You're right. I'm sorry. Robert Campbell, like I was telling you, was the is the hard copy reporter, host, whatever character. And that's the character that Stephen Cole played. That's the one that refused to take the advice from Kane Hodder. And you'll see yeah. it when he gets possessed. You just see the way he walks and stuff. It's completely out of character for what's been established for Jason. And then, you know, we get the, uh, we get the exposition from him talking about the house and all that and what he's going to do. And so Steve's able to find out, you know, he's a bad guy, which doesn't come into play. He doesn't have to explain that to Jessica. So him finding out he's a sleazebag really doesn't matter because Robert's about to die or be possessed or whatever. And then we get the cool FX shot of the body disintegrating where the character dies again, even though he should be dead. And then we get your fight scene. I think Steven is trying to make his way back to the police station, right? Yeah. He ends up meeting up with Jessica because she comes to the Voorhees Manor. He jumps in the car and then they run over the reporter boyfriend. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. He, cause, uh, yeah. And he's like, you think he's dead? He's not. And then like, she kicks him out of the car and then no, he's hanging on. Wait a minute. Was it at the manor or was it somewhere else? Cause I thought, I thought he left. I thought, um, he left and went to where she was at. And then Steve had to follow. That's it. That's it. Because I didn't make a note because she's, she at her mom's house. I, I think so. Because there is a really good shot to where she gets in the car. Like she's taking a shower there. Yeah. Lights go out. She immediately is asking who's there. You know, this woman gave her baby just like the baby's out of the picture. She gave it to a, just a diner worker. <laughs> like you take care of it. And she gets in the car and it's a really good shot of her. You know, she doesn't know she's in danger and she accidentally hits the hazard lights on the back of the car. And then it's flashing red and it's in the garage. And then that's when you see like her, her possessed boyfriend in the background. I thought there's certain moments in this movie that are pretty effective like that. I'm like that, that works. Yeah. You know, because you don't see him. As your lights come on, it's blinking red, and then you see him, and yeah, and then he tries to get her, and then Stephen, the hero, comes. Well, Steve has a knack for showing up just in time, no matter the situation. I mean, that hitchhiker he's was almost ovulating. Like a, he's almost like an X-Man. Yeah. Like, hitchhiker was ovulating. She was ready to fuck. You know, the moon was just right. He turned it down because he's a man of honor. And integrity. He wanted to see his mother-in-law die. He's like, I'll get there about three minutes later. Yeah, they, they run him over. That's right. Yeah, they run him over. And uh, I think he's trying to tell her that she's in danger. And obviously, she still thinks that he killed her mother because you just saw your fucking boyfriend, you know, try to impregnate you with a demon worm, whatever. And she still wants to kick Steve out of the fucking car. Well, yeah, I mean, you would too, though. I mean, he's babbling on about some crazy shit. And I guess maybe you're the one person in the country that's oblivious to the whole Jason Voorhees thing. But yeah, 
kicks him out of the fucking car. And that's and he when, lays there the entire time. <laughs> but that's when uh, Randy, right? Is that the cop's name? Yeah. yeah, because she goes to the police station because they're looking for this escaped fugitive. And she's like, well, I kicked him out of the car. And I'm sure he's still laying there because he needs to take a nap. And his best <laughs> friend comes and, and Steve's like, that. don't shoot. And he's like, oh, it's you. Yeah. And then they have that epic fight in the dirt. Oh, did you notice? And I'm, I don't know. Maybe you didn't. I have it written in my notes. And when the hard copy guy gets possessed by uh, Josh, I noticed when they were struggling. Uh, did you notice the, the county that Camp Crystal Lake is in? Mm-mm. Cunningham. Of course it is. I did see Cunningham, like the the word somewhere, but I didn't catch where it was actually at. But of course it is. Of course it's in Cunningham County. Yeah, that makes sense. They're having their little dirt fight, like you said. Um, and then when he finds out that she's at the police station, he's just like, go ahead and cuff me. Yeah. <laughs> and then we have the lowest of rent Terminator scene. When the hard copy reporter goes into the police station, this is nickel and dime store Terminator type shit. And I don't know if you notice, like when when, and I'm using air quotes here, all hell was breaking loose at the yeah. police station. These two cops run out of this room because there's uh, mayhem going on outside, and these two cops run out, and one is zipping up his pants. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's honest. like they were peeing together because I'm assuming it was a bathroom. At this point, I just uh, actually got a little gap here where I didn't take any notes. Uh, it just, I remember, you know, the girl's like, "Oh, I need a change of clothes." You know, all we got is police uniform. That just, you know, there's what is there like one female police officer? We just happen to have pants yeah. that fit you perfectly, and yeah. they're form fitting. Uh, the, the one cop boy, are they the one cop runs, I guess, down the hallway and Creighton Duke knocks him out and escapes that, that cop is the director. That's what I figured. I knew he was, had a scene in there. Yeah. You know, and, and Creighton Duke's able to do that because he didn't have half his fucking fingers broken. So oh, thankfully that wasn't Steve in there. Cause he doesn't give his hands to strangers telling nonsense stories about demon dogs that go up your booty hole. <laughs> you blame Creighton Duke for that. Oh, my God. And then from the police station, they go to the diner, right? Oh, my God. And we haven't even talked about how in New Jersey, there is Georgia transplants. I know. Right in the diner. Opened up a diner. And that woman, that the, the woman who owns a diner is so goddamn funny. It's so funny. Like, when they bring in the baby originally. And we skipped over it, but when they originally brought in the baby, yeah. the, uh, when Jessica gives her baby to this random diner worker, the diner worker comes in because she's working that day. I don't know why she took the baby when you have a commitment to a nine to five job. So she, she brings this, she brings the baby to the diner and <laughs> she puts the diner on the counter and the woman, the big woman who, who plays the owner slash manager. <laughs> she looks at the baby. She's like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> well, she flip flops on that baby too, man. Cause at first she does. 
Because when they come to get the baby, her mother. <laughs> well, at first she's, she's like, like, we're, we're a diner, not a fucking daycare or something like that. Yeah. We're a diner, not a fucking nursery. And so when the mother of the child with Stephen come to get the baby, she, hang on, where is it at? <laughs> Nobody is going to touch that fucking ray of sunshine. Oh yeah. And, and then like, why does she send her son out there? The son who gave Stephen the keys to the car. Oh my. The, the son has a gun, but he has to go outside for some reason. They called the police, right? Was he going to the police station? Maybe. I can't be. I can't remember. Cause they tried to call the police. I think and it was dead, right? Yeah. The phone line was dead. And the son, just a 17-year-old working at a diner that his mom owns, sweetheart, gives his car away. He's spinning the gun because he has because his family's from Georgia. They Everybody has a gun. They <laughs> all know how to use it. So the son's spinning the gun like a, a, a Wild West fucking gunslinger. And then he puts the gun in, his, in the front of his pants. And his mom is like, honey, watch the willy. <laughs> He's like, oh right, mom. Thank you. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> I mean, but you know what? At least she fucking called it out because I know that. I think we talked about it in another movie. Like I think it was uh, Cobra when uh, Marion was putting a gun in his front uh, from his pants. He's like, come on, man, you can have a plastic burrs here, but instead of shooting your leg, you're gonna shoot off your fucking dick. You're gonna shoot off that Italian stallion, right? And then what are you gonna do? No more low budget porns for you, buddy. But yeah, and then and then her son walks outside, and in comes, you know, lower rent Geraldo Rivera, Robert Campbell, Tomato Tomato. I feel like they and probably that, gave him the last name Campbell because they wanted to have another shout out. Oh, I'm sure. I'm well, sure. name him Robert Campbell. Bruce will love it. But yeah, he's walking up. That was a good arm break scene, man. Oh yeah, that was a yeah, that was a good special effect. I'm telling you, man, K and B brought their fucking A game on this. Yeah, when I saw that, I I was like, that's good. It reminded me of the fly, the arm wrestling scene. Scenes where an arm get broke, you know, bones popping out, they always make me cringe a little bit. Just you know, and I guess maybe like especially when they look realistic because we've seen at this point athletes that have had to happen. You know, Sid Vicious when he broke his leg, Anderson Silva, you know, when he snapped his leg against Chris Weidman. Apparently, the Alex Smith one was pretty bad. Yeah, but uh, you get to see that. Like, like what was the running back? Right, quick. Just we'll go off on a tangent that one person would appreciate. South Carolina running back. Oh, I know who you're talking. About. Marcus Lattimore. That's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah, and still had some. Like at least made it to the league. Um, obviously not at the level he would have played at pre-injury, yeah. but still made it. Yeah. Um, you know, and then. I guess real quick, man, if we're going to fucking, you know, throw a little sports in here and we're going to talk about leg injuries, let's, uh, let's give a fucking shout out to Frank Gore, who had like what double knee surgeries, tore up both knees in college and has somehow managed to become the fourth or third place all time leading rusher in the league. Maybe first in carries, though. Maybe, but fucking long. Which is more Considering his injuries is yeah. more impressive. The kind man's of? had longevity after having both knees repaired. When is other he a Hall people, of Famer? Um, no, he is not. I don't know. He had some really good years. I think now we're just we're in the twilight of his career. I don't know. That's a, just a topic for another day. He's not in. He's not in. 
uh, Jason Goes to Hell or Freddy's Dead. So sorry, Frank Gore. We'll have to talk about you a different day on a different episode. Maybe have a guest. I don't know. Shake your head all you want. We're not talking about Frank Gore today. We're talking about Jason Voorhees. And is he a Hall of Famer? <laughs> if we break off into Frank Gore territory right now, we're going to make it a, a long episode already longer. And yeah. We're, okay. We're, okay. We're, we're, we're working on an epic right now. This is about to be Lord of the Rings. As far as yeah. like length. It was a good effect, man. And watching that. We'll just speed snap, it up like Cunningham. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, when I edit these and I, I listen to them in fast speed when I'm cutting and we sound like chipmunks and part of me wants to release them like that. Cause I'm like, that sounds better than our real voices. I bet people oh, get a that, kick out, kick out of listening to it like that. And then you could listen to it in half the time. Well, not half the time, that but hurts. 75% that hurts. of the time. I know Bill Simmons listened to his podcast at like higher speed, but I guess he's a busy man. Well, I'm know? a busy man. Okay. Well, he's a, he's a busy man with an empire. I'm, I'm busy thinking about, other busy people with empires. <laughs> You're busy thinking about the Roman Empire. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> anyways, I don't know why that just made me laugh. So, I think the sun lives. I think the sun lives. Does he? Because he just throws him through like the door. Oh, I assumed at that point he was dead, but he he doesn't even get a shot off, does he? Oh God, no. God, no. <laughs> Lone Ranger there. God damn. Um, so, but talking about the gun, there was a note I made about this, man. There's a lot of guns in this movie for it to be a Friday the 13th movie. There's a lot of guns. Yeah. You know, so it, it goes with what I said, like when I said earlier, that it quit being a Friday the 13th movie. And I think, you know, when you get so many gunshots, and I know, like once you get outside of the Camp Crystal Lake setting, why wouldn't people have guns? I guess. I, well, I'm just curious as to guns. what made you think that it quit be, quit being a Friday Thirteenth movie because Jason's not in it and it's a possession movie. That's what made me think it. <laughs> you <laughs> took you mean the entire goddamn movie? Yeah, and it and like we'll talk about it later on too. But it's in my fucking complaints about this movie. <laughs> it's not a Friday Thirteenth movie. At least when Nightmare on Elm Street did it in part two. It was still a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Freddy was still in it. You know, he was just possessing one person, but you fucking saw him. It was almost like a split personality thing happening, but Freddy still existed. The only time we fucking see Jason is when he, walked by, when he walks by a mirror. And then he's like, oh, you there. How's it going? Okay. So, yeah, it's not a Friday the 13th movie. And, uh, and he gets so startled by his reflection that, you know, obviously Jason lives his life without mirrors. Well, how, how's that fucking possible, though? Because he learned how to shave. So there had to be a mirror involved. Well, also, there's the water from this so-called camp, Crystal Lake. But I have a dead thought. Leave this in. What was I talking about? I don't know. Keep going. We were Wait. talking about reflections and shaving and mirrors and Jason no, never it, having it's, them. It is funny how he forgets how ugly he is. Because when he ever sees his reflection, he has to stop and be like, Rethink his life decisions. You know, he's like, ooh. Well, he's probably like, oh, shit. I don't look like I looked last movie or the previous movie. Once again, I know you said you're not big on the, like, big on continuity, but I am. And continuity bothers me. And there was at least a continuity with the look of Jason for the most part. He had the spot where the machete hit him in the head. 
He had the damaged eye, which they got wrong in this movie because they fixed it in the Friday the 13th video game. Remember the one that me, you and Daniel used to play all the time? Like for the model for the Jason Goes to Hell character, they swapped the eyes. So the damaged eye was on the correct eye, which would have been the left eye. This movie got that wrong. But he had that machete spot. He had the damaged eye. I think the only thing that they had correct was on the mask where the blade hit the bottom corner of it in part six where it chopped him up some. Mm. Well, let me just backtrack and say, like, I do hold movies accountable for its continuity. I give a pass to slasher movies because it is a different type of genre that is just supposed to be fun and scary. You know, it's fun. Character continuity. continuity. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So, God. Oh, so anyways, yeah, he breaks that guy's arm, man. And he throws him. Isn't there somebody? No, her, her little boyfriend, the manager's little boyfriend who gets thrown on the grill. But is it? Well, first, he gets his face shoved in the uh, hot grease. Yeah, well, it's supposed to be hot grease, but it just looks like bubbling water. But uh, but I thought before that, wasn't there like a, and maybe I'm thinking about something else I just recently watched, but wasn't there a person like leaning up against the door whining? Yeah, there was there was patrons in the uh, restaurant who sort of scattered like cockroaches when um, Geraldo came in. <laughs> Not playing the character also. Good job, asshole. Are you talking about me? No, I'm talking about Stephen Culp. You, you have a tendency to call me an asshole a lot. Well, and that's because it's true. Well, if the shoe fits, I'm not. And it does. No. It's like the fucking glass slipper. I mean, we can slide it on you at any time. Oh, as as I am. Fit. I am Cinderella in this. Oh, you, you goddamn. I, I look good in a glass slipper. I'll tell you what. Yeah. So anyways, you're talking about him getting his face shoved into the hot crease. And then he gets thrown on the, uh, the fryer. Not, not the fryer, but the, like. The skillet or whatever. To, yeah. I know what you're talking about. It's like it's like a griddle surface or something like that. Yeah, I wish I had one for burgers, honestly. Yeah. You can buy like a portable one. Yeah, that. Well, you can do a lot of things with it. Uh, burgers, grilled cheeses. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. S- uh, stir fry. Oh, yeah. 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 The, the stovetop, <laughs> the griddle, whatever the fuck it's called. And she gets punched in the face. Dude, yeah. <laughs> so oh, so was it a punch or was it an elbow? Uh, at this but, point, what's the difference? But yeah, it was almost comical the way she looked afterwards. Oh, it was comical. Like it was meant to be like a laugh out loud. But still, was it, it looks good? like she put it looks like she put 137 warheads in her mouth. <laughs> it was, <laughs> was still a good effect though. Uh it still looked good. And like yeah. and it wasn't so exaggerated to the point where like you know, if somebody with superhuman strength hit me in the face, that's not what would happen. I could almost be like, yeah, that could possibly happen. Whereas, sure, why not? <laughs> well, I'm just saying. I mean, I don't know. I've never been hit by a person with exaggerated strength. So I can't speak defiantly on that or definitively. Whatever word we want <laughs> to use. Defiantly? Yeah, uh, yeah, that was that was wrong. No, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whatever. Um, so the the Jason Diner massacre. 
1993. <laughs> Everybody bites the dust except for Steve. And- they open up the next day selling Jason Burgers. Yeah, right. Uh, Steve, Jessica, uh, what's the baby's name? Stephanie. Stephanie, yeah. yeah. It's funny, though, because the the true hero of this movie is who Jessica gave the baby to. Because she puts like Allison, she she puts like six shots into the in, into Geraldo, mm-hmm. and then he's almost dead, and she's like she like super saiyans, and she grabs this like rebar that is I don't know why it's at a restaurant a diner, and she's like fuck you, and then she stabs the reporter. She's going all in on this kill. And rightfully so, because other than Jason's death, her, his death should have been the most satisfying because he was the most despicable character. Everybody you kill him. Yeah, but I mean, still, I mean, well, because you, you don't kill him because none of these bodies die until Jason transfers. But she did the damage to create the need for him to get out of the body, right? And of all the characters that Jason possesses in this movie, most of them are good people with the exception of this asshole. I say good people. I mean, they're, they're people. I don't know what kind of people they are in their personal lives. They could be dickheads. <laughs> But fucking Robert Campbell is openly despicable, and he deserved all of that. So at I mean, least they got that part right. Like a jackass, too. Did he, he did. He did. So yeah, and and I think he transferred. Well, it's a it's misdirection later on because we think that. Oh my god! Yes, and it was bad because we it's think a that POV shot too. Like it was so so bad, so dumb. But Allison dies. Um, Steven, Jessica, and baby Stephanie escape. Or no, they don't escape. That's right. I'm getting this wrong. I'm jumping ahead. Uh, Stephanie's gone. Green we don't know. Duke yeah, we don't. The baby. Yeah, exactly. We don't know that at this point because they're they're trying to get to Stephanie. Which you said that Allison's the hero of this movie, but and plus, what's her name? The uh, the owner of the diner. Calls her a ray of sunshine, but apparently nobody thought to check in on this child in the last 30 minutes because nobody realized that Creighton Duke stole her. The baby's well, gone, and nobody fucking knows. This didn't happen in the melee. Creighton Duke just didn't just take this child and leave a note while everybody was getting massacred. Well, I think, you know, as a father and as you being a father as well, that when a child is quiet for 30 minutes, you don't want to tempt fate and wake it up by checking on it. Yeah, that's fathers when we're locked in our apartments. We're talking about people <laughs> at a diner who have to. The, the child is in the fucking storage area. She's in a box. <laughs> but you still. But you have to go back there to get fucking food. You have to go back there to get shit. Somebody had to give a passing glance at his child when he was going back there to get some fucking lettuce for the burger, for the Jason <sighs> burger. Or everybody just coming in and is like, yeah, let me get those Jason burgers without lettuce today. You goddamn right. Those Jason burgers, man. You, you just need a, 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 a meat, you know, and a bun. Yeah, fucking rare bleeding. That special sauce is is made by the uh, the sun <laughs> but, in the back. But uh, it's fucking nasty. But um, yeah, Creighton Duke steals a child while nobody's fucking paying attention. Jessica, I like how he knew that the baby was at the diner. Just yeah, while he's been in jail. He had no yeah. way of knowing, but he he's fucking learned other shit that he had no way of knowing. So what's one more fucking tidbit of information that Creighton Duke learns? I mean, on he's his own? a magical beast. 
He at is. This point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was so. Hey, tell Anna to calm down. We're trying to make magic here. I know. She's so angry. Uh, Hulk smash. But hang on. I was going to say something absolutely brilliant. Well, while you're trying to figure that out, I'll continue my thought. So Stephanie is gone with Creighton Duke. Jessica sees the note, but we don't see the note because whatever. We're just supposed to believe that Jessica up and left Steve yet again. Nice guy, Steve, who's put his life on the line this entire movie. She fucking leaves him again. No, no, no. They both find the note. Yeah, but he finds it after she's bailed on him. Because really? Yeah, she goes because it says come alone and she leaves. And then Steve finds a note and it's like, oh, okay. Oh, he does get there afterwards because you hear Creighton Duke's voiceover. Because he arrives just in time. (laughs) Creighton Duke's voiceover for the note. Yeah. (laughs) I got your baby. Come alone. No, you can't. No, no. no. It's, it's, it's. But anyways. Yeah. I got your baby. That's a lot like you did. Hang on. I got the baby. Jessica, come alone. But yeah, so it's back to fucking the to fucking Voorhees Manor or whatever the fuck it's called. This I feel like it's a piece. Dude leaves a note. I got your baby, Jessica. Come alone. Well, so check this out. Big kiss, little kiss, big kiss. (laughs) This just fucking came to me. Right, love Creighton Duke. Seriously, hold on. Fucking quit with the Creighton Duke. This literally just came to me, but this movie with all the added on Jason lore and shit, you can almost look at it as like a monopoly board, like the, uh, the Friday 13th monopoly, the diner is fucking Baltic Avenue or whatever that first shitty spot is. And then Voorhees Manor is fucking boardwalk. Wait a minute. So this is a monopoly board with two locations. Well, there's other places, obviously the police stations in there. Uh, Camp Crystal Lake apparently is, you know, the fucking railroads because, whatever, you know, the cruise liner would, or maybe the cruise liner would be the railroads. Uh, Camp Crystal Lake would be a spot. The police station. From Camp Park Crystal Lake City. would have to be boardwalk. Right? Well, not the way this movie treats it. No. Well, the cruise liner wouldn't exist either. If, um, if, if we're only talking about Jason goes to hell. But then you have the, and how many police stations are there? Because there was a police station in part six. And you would assume one, two, Usually, usually you only get into bigger police or not bigger, but multiple police stations in bigger cities, right? Because they have sub. How big is Camp Crystal Lake? If you had to guess right now, how big is it? Five hundred people. I feel like it's gonna be really small, just based on the stores from the first. Based on the first movie, it looks like Lena. Yeah, which for those of y'all that don't live in Mississippi. Lena is like a one store town. Well, it's a no store town now. I think. I think Lena's dead. But yeah, it's a, uh, it's really small. Like it's five hundred people. Every, Not even yeah. five hundred people. Well, that's what I said. Every state has that that town, right? That little small town that's a fucking convenience store where people, the older people hang out, play dominoes, shit like that. But that's yeah. like that's like the center of the town. That's what it felt like to me. Camp Crystal Lake and that surrounding area didn't feel like a big area. Like the the camp, the summer camp. Was the attraction right? There wasn't the yeah. movie. Th- well, hold on. 
No, we may be wrong. Because they had a big-ass fucking bar in part two. Uh, it felt like they went. Somewhere else? Across town lines. To, for the next, to the next town over? Yeah, yeah. That's possible. That's what I took. Yeah, I guess that could make sense. Because that was a pretty big fucking uh, bar. Yeah, it was swinging. Yeah. It was a swinging bar. But yeah. And part six. Oh. Yeah, part six is like the only one that had a functioning, well, part five did. Well, you see police throughout the series, but they, it feels like a small time police force every time you see them. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it's a big town. Small town, yet, I don't know, big fucking estate for the Voorhees family, who apparently got all the money in the town, because whatever. Oh, it's like the house on Haunted Hill fucking manor. Right? It's fucking massive. But Creighton Duke takes the baby. Jessica reads the note. Steve reads the note. Jessica goes ahead of Steve. Jessica shows up first. Creighton Duke gives her the dagger or gives her his dagger, which somehow turns into the dagger from the golden child. It is so bad. It is so bad. Yeah. It's so fucking stupid. Oh my God. Does Jason shows up before Steve, right? Because Steve shows up just in time. I mean, he's always just in right time. on time, <laughs> except for when it was to save Jessica's mother, who she didn't care about because she immediately. Oh, you mean his mother-in-law? Yeah. <laughs> no, he was right on time because he heard. Uh, yeah, just because mom died and then she immediately, you know, blew a guy. Um. So anyways, <laughs> Creighton Duke finally decides that he's going to be helpful without snapping fingers. Like, I'm surprised he didn't fucking amputate a foot from Jessica to give her the dagger. Like, hold on. I know what's going on. I'm sure they signed a contract before, like, we got to see it. Right after this is over, I'm taking yeah. a hammer to your knee. You got to pay the price. It's like the four rooms section of the movie where the dude loses a pinky. Yeah, but uh, the 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 two uh, the her I guess would be father in law shows up, and then Randy shows up, and we get this little play of misdirection. They're supposed to believe that the older sugar daddy is the one that's possessed by Jason. And that, Randy, I mean, he's acting pretty crazy too. He, he is. And Randy doesn't have the other telltale signs that the other characters have until after the fact. And then you see his eyes. Because yeah. up until that point, it looked normal. But then you see like, oh, he's got the crazy eyes. Oh, Randy was Jason. Who would have saw that coming? And, you know, Creighton Duke's just like, stab them both. Crane Duke's making the right call. Yeah, oh, he is. Yeah, at this point, you don't know. And then she kills the wrong one and then. She gets attacked again because this character has been worthless up until this point. And here comes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think, uh, does Creighton Duke step in first or does Steve save her first? I can't remember. Either way, Creighton Duke finally mans up and fights Jason. Uh, no, he falls through the floor first, right? Yeah, he, get, he gets uh, his leg impaled. Yeah, he falls through the floor, gets impaled. Steve saves her in the nick of time again because that's Steve. Mr. On Time. Right on time. The the worm comes out of the body. I forget how it does that, actually. Like, I, I, do, I, I was I trying do, to remember. I do, too. And I feel like I should have made a note of it. But the worm comes out of the body. And at this point, it's gigantic. It can't even fucking like come out of a mouth at this point, can it? 
because it's got little arms. It's got this big head. It's got this little slug back end going on. It's fucking well and round. And I think it gets tossed and it falls into the, because there's holes all in this floor. The building somehow hasn't collapsed on itself because everything else is strong except for the floors. They use cheap ass wood when they made those. And so everybody's falling through floors in this entire building. Especially this room. Yeah. Where all of this is taking place. And then the slug falls down. Creighton Duke has pulled himself free. The slug conveniently finds the body that was hidden by Mr. Campbell, sleazebag. You say it goes up the booty hole. I said it went up the vag canal. Either way, it goes in, and Jason's reborn, fully clothed with a hockey mask, because that's how childbirth works. Pretty much. Yeah. And I guess nobody wants to see a fucking naked Jason, but I would have almost been better off with it like when Jason and why is Jason reborn in his super deformed state also? I I mean, if you're asking questions at this point, then well, it's, it's not really a question as much as I'm just pointing. No, out no, no. I'm saying logic. I'm saying not you, but at this point, logic has been tossed out the window of an airplane <laughs> <laughs> going 600,000 miles an hour. Like, oh. it does not even matter. None of this matters. Over the Bermuda Triangle. Over the Bermuda <laughs> Triangle, yes. So, fucking Jason comes back fully grown with his fucking mask on. And like I was saying, I'd have, I'd have been better. I'd have had an easier time with it if Jason just, like, found another mask in his fucking manner. Or we came gotta, back as 11-year-old Jason who drowned. <laughs> dude, yeah, that might have been better. I mean, that's something. That's something. Yeah. So at this point, we're we're back to a Friday the 13th movie for like five minutes. Jason's back. Creighton Duke finally decides to man up and do something without requiring sacrifice, you know, virgin blood. And he gets bear hugged to death. He sacrificed himself, though. He handcuffed I- himself. And I was thinking, too, why doesn't Jason just rip his fucking arm off? But then I saw Jason just ripped his hands through the, uh, yeah, he did the cuffs. That, yeah. Which, goddamn, that's going to hurt. But yeah, Bear hugs Creighton Duke. Jessica drops the fucking dagger. You know, Steve is holding the fucking uh, drawers up or whatever it is. The entertainment center, I don't know. Fucking holding it up so Jessica can reach for it. Jessica has shown herself just to leave her baby fucking laying around throughout this entire movie. Oh, the baby. But at this point, she won't set that motherfucker down so she can reach that dagger. And then it falls through the floor again. And this makes like the 18th thing that has fell through the floor at this point. So then Steve, to his credit, lasts longer than any person ever lasted with fucking Jason in a one-on-one fight. Ever. Yes. But at this point, I feel like he should have been Tommy Jarvis because that's that's shit that's only reserved for Mr. Jarvis. It made Jason look so bad. It did. Well, I had to just take it as Jason was toying with him at this point, right? Like, that's the only justification I could come up with. But, yeah, Jason's toying with his food. But, you know, he's kicking his ass thoroughly. It's, you know, fucking survives. Jessica gets the dagger out and gets that. Uh, side note, I just have to say it because we're here. The uh, jungle gym that Jason threw. Yeah, is that what it was? I don't know what it was. I, that's what is I thought. Is that what you call it? Well, I thought so, but I I didn't know if that's what it was supposed to be. I thought, I don't know, like maybe they were hanging ferns off of it. Well, it's supposed to be like the exact same jungle gym that was used for the birds. Oh. Like the same one. I mean, if we're going to keep giving shout outs to movie better than us, better than what this one is, we might as well do that. Well, I was just side tangent. 
Jessica finally recovers the fucking dagger. Do you even sense. see that? See what? Oh, when she recovers a dagger. I don't think he. I don't even think they no, show that in the no, movie. No, they don't show it because they're. Uh, she just falls down there, and I, I can't remember if they showed it or not. But yeah, she's recovered it, and she makes a slow motion jump at Jason. Yeah, they don't show it because Jason's fighting Steven the entire time. And then all of a sudden, like Jessica comes out of nowhere. Like they couldn't. Well, they probably didn't <laughs> want to show her climbing up the ladder. But yeah, she makes that slow motion jump towards Jason, and, you know, and you kind of got the music going here and everything. And she stabs him, and the spirits start coming out of whatever with the cheesy light effects. No, 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 no. She don't just stab him. She stabs him, and then she has to kick it. Well, that was that. Yeah, that's because uh, I was getting to that too. Like, yeah, okay. that, she has to fucking uh, stomp it in further because apparently the initial stab wound was not enough. It only released some of the spirits that were powering Jason because this has never been established in any Friday the 13th movie that Jason's powered by the souls of the children. Sounds like a different movie, a different series. A lot like a different movie that we're yeah. going to talk to, yeah. talk about very soon. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And when she realizes it's not, and this is the only thing that worthwhile that she's done in this whole fucking movie is stab Jason, you know, and, and I guess it's supposed to make her look like the hero, but this is even worse than Big Trouble in Little China. Big Trouble in Little China, Jack Burton looked like a buffoon by design, right? And then he he makes the, the play against Lopan at the end of the movie. Here, I don't know if we're supposed to like be cheering her on or what, but it's like, uh, you're kind of taking away the hero moment from Steve because we backed ourselves into this corner with only a Voorhees can kill a Voorhees because you don't even realize it while you're watching the movie. And even afterwards, how far in the background they put her, it just kind of shows what a mess this movie was. Mm hmm. Yeah, Jason dies. These giant arms come up out of the ground and start pulling him down the hill. And they grab Steve because I don't know why. Collateral damage, I guess. Yeah, it's his Han Solo moment. And it takes her a moment to fucking try to save Steve. You know, even though this guy's been there every fucking second of the way for her, it takes her a minute to be like, oh, let me save you, Steve, or help you. And then they walk off into the sunset. The wind blows. A dog walks up. Instead of pissing fire, it leaves. And we see Kane Hodder as Freddy Krueger pull the mask down to what I guess is supposed to be hell. Yeah. And I will say this as as we're closing this out. like, And I don't know if Manfredini came back for Jason X, but he opened the movie with a little bit of his score from the first one. And he closed it before the credits. He closed it when they're walking in the sunset, the family, the happy family. Now it it is music from the first movie again. And I thought like that was a nice bookend yeah. touch. Obviously like once the credits start rolling, it's, it's back to the fucking horrendous score that has been consistent throughout the movie. But so I, I've got a few thoughts um, before we wrap up and I'm going to say the same thing that you said about, the Halloween remakes, which we've talked about before, at least there was a vision. They had a vision for the movie. It was a horrible vision, but at least they had a vision. I don't think it was a Friday the 13th movie. I said that earlier in the podcast. I think once it you took Jason out of it, it ceased to be a Friday the 13th movie. It became like a possession type movie. 
Yeah. And honestly, I would say that if you was to take the Jason parts out of this movie and it was just what it was without that being forced in, it's not unwatchable. I'm not saying it's great. I'm not saying it's good, but it's like a, a stupid movie to watch. Excuse me. As a stupid movie to watch late at night when you've been drinking or whatever, and you want to watch a, a B, C, D grade level horror movie, it would work. You know, it's just something to pass the time. There's worse movies out there. It's a Friday the 13th movie. It's fucking horrible. It's the, it's the worst in the series. And I'll stand by that. You know, and if we ever get around to ranking the movies, guess what's going to be worse or last this one. It's, it's not a Friday the 13th movie. It's not a Jason movie. Um, I don't know why uh, Sean Cunningham, you know, wanted to make a Friday the 13th movie. If it wasn't going to include Jason, you, at this point, you haven't set up anything to establish the anthology type. Cause even when they did it with Halloween part three was too late, right? If you were going to make Halloween an anthology type film, where it's a different story, each movie, it should have been done with part two. So you damn sure can't do it like in part nine where you try to introduce something new. And if you are going to introduce new elements, it has to be in smaller doses. This was just a radical change and it didn't work as a Friday the 13th movie. Like I said, if you take the Jason, Jason elements out of it and you're just watching it one night because you're bored, then yeah, it's probably okay. Not good. Passable. That's, that's what I'd say. Passable. So it does have a vision there. Um, special effects. You know, we talked about it earlier. I thought they were great. Least favorite Jason design though. Stand by that. The, the mystical or supernatural elements that were tried to shoehorn in don't fucking fit. Like we have accepted that Jason was a zombie pretty much at this point, right? A super strength zombie based on what happened in part six. Cause he was resurrected like Frankenstein. And then the shit we saw in part seven and part eight. And now we're trying to give an explanation to that. That doesn't make any fucking sense because it's never been hinted at before. And once again, we're just trying to shoehorn something in and then the whole Voorhees has to kill a Voorhees bullshit. It's fucking stupid. They could have done without it. To me, it's, I'm not saying it's a better movie or a worse movie than Freddy's dead, which we're going to talk about next, but it's a more disappointing movie. And that's because the formula is so easy to follow. I think it takes more skill to make a good uh, nightmare on Elm street movie, given the subject matter and the way it works than it is to make a good Friday the 13th movie. It's a simple fucking formula. You have a camp, you have a lake, you have teenagers, and you have a person killing them. And we got so far off base with that, that it was just wasn't good. And it was, like I said, disappointing. No Crystal Lake. You, you had Jason for 10 minutes. You had Crystal Lake for no minutes. And I get it. You know, Sean Cunningham, once again, trying to bite off his nose despite his face. Doesn't care about the Jason character. Doesn't care about the franchise. Just trying to make a buck. But if that's your motive, then why move away from those things that are proven to make you money? It's not like you're trying to be artistic. You've never once claimed to be doing things for the art. At least Wes Craven would you know, give you these reasons as to why he was doing things. You know, and He'd try to make it sound like he was being artistic. But Sean Cunningham never well, gave us that illusion. It is very unfair to start comparing those two guys. Well, I'm just saying. And, I, and Wes not, Craven had a bunch of stinkers, but at least he had a vision. Well, I'm not comparing them in that sense. I'm saying is like yeah. we can't sit here and act like Sean Cunningham was doing something for his art. Yeah. Wes, Wes Craven at least tried to make that claim. Whether it's true or not, he made that claim. He never said, hey, I'm doing this for the money. You know, I'm trying to do something different. 
Sean Cunningham was always doing it for the money. So why move away from the things that make you money? Why? And it was obvious. And I guess my problem with movies, a lot of movies when they do shit like this too, is they want to use that phrase subvert, you know, fan expectations. Why piss off your fans? I this mean, is, that this isn't an Oscar winning franchise. It's not like it's going to win any awards for screenplay or acting or anything like that. So it's not like it's a piece of high art. Why piss off your fans? I mean, in that case, it's, it's very baffling. And that, and that's for any, anybody who sort of, especially with the horror community, which is a very niche community. Why you turn your back on them? Because you're not getting any outsiders coming into your movie. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You yeah. Know, at this like, point, you're catering just to that fan base. Yeah. But okay, here's here's my thoughts. There's something here. Not as a continuation of the Friday movies. God no. But you can do something with a demon dog body hopping into people's butts plot. Especially when you have K and B doing the makeup and special effects. But this movie with the Voorhees family, the magical backstory is just dumb. I haven't seen Jason X in a while. And at the time, it was the pits for me. Because Uber Jason is dumb as anything in this movie. But I don't know now. At least you still have Jason in that movie. The effects, though, in this movie are top notch. Like I said earlier, probably second only to part four. They brought their A game. Fucking Kurtzman, Nicotero. I don't know who the B is in that, and I apologize. But this movie failed in literally every other area. Now, I get what you. I get when you say that this is more disappointing than Freddy's Dead, and we'll get to it. But I'll take this movie ten days out of ten days over Freddy's Dead. Which is is saying something because this movie is like a three out of ten for me. I mean, this movie's shit. And when I, you know, we'll get to it again. I, I hate to keep reiterating that, but Freddy's Dead is like one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And this movie did have something to it. And it again, if you if you just don't call this Friday the Thirteenth or Jason Goes to Hell or it's like you said, this movie could be kind of you know. There's something there. But once you introduce uh, Voorhees' genealogy plot to it, then you you failed. You fucking failed. Yeah. It's dumb. It's dumb. <laughs> it's, it's definitely that. I agree. Um, so our original plan for this episode was to make it one episode, but we've ran extremely long just talking about Jason Goes to Hell. Which we we had an idea that it might run long. So, surprise, this is going to be a special two-part episode. This is part one on the follow-up episode or next episode. Just think of it like the old Batman show, right? You know, same bat time, same bat channel. You know, you get to find out what happens. But on the next episode, the continuation of the Freddy versus Jason uh, extravaganza, we're going to talk about Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. So look forward to that being our next episode, part two of this episode, Freddy versus Jason. So until next time, you can well, before find- you go, can I can I say something? Yes.
Can I get a little bit more enthusiasm out of you? No. Yes, Josh. Okay. What do you got, buddy? Okay, thank you. I just wanted to tell your stepdad, Steve Wozniak, that uh, I love him. God damn it. I guess this is going to be a running thing. It's not Wozniak, motherfucker. It's Wachowiak. <laughs> so it's part of the joke. And every time you... <laughs> well, I feel like it, we get to a point where you're probably drunk enough to forget that it's Wachowiak and it's Wozniak. I mean, I doubt no, it. I'll never remember his goddamn last name. I just love him. So... <laughs> Uh, so, uh, any other final thoughts real quick, Josh, any shout outs you want to give or anything like that? <clears throat> Steve, if you're listening, <laughs> it's not even fucking Steve, man. It's Scott. Even funnier. Jesus, you're fucking ruining my bit. Or maybe mm. you're helping it. I don't know how this comedy shit uh, works. <laughs> So any other words for anybody besides Mr. Wozniak? All right, everyone, we're here. At- <laughs> Leave that in. Leave that in. <laughs> All right, everyone. We are at the end of this episode. So uh, you can find us on veryunreasonablethings.com. You can find us on our Very Unreasonable Things Facebook page. We are on Podbean, Spotify, and iTunes. And maybe this is the week where I get off my lazy ass and I get us submitted to the other streaming services. Hopefully if we do, we'll post it and we'll let you know, but until next time, thank you for listening.